step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Good evening and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 125 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and Captain Kurt behind the glass taking care of us tonight. Appreciate you tuning in. As you're tuning in, the Colorado Avalanche put a touchdown mm. and an extra point on the Arizona Coyotes. And that is a lot of goals for and a lot of goals, or not a lot of goals against in that yeah, series. That was rough. Oh my goodness. Bye. <laughs> That is extremely rough. And how does that how does it make someone feel as a National Predators fan, knowing that they lost the series to the Arizona Coyotes three one, and then we they, don't want to talk about it. No, but we need to. We need to address this. <laughs> I know it's it going on right behind me right now. It it's wasn't even close. This was not even close of a series. That's and brutal. That I, is brutal. I, I had I did not think that the Coyotes had even a chance a chance in anything to win this series, but. I didn't expect it to be seven one and seven one back to back seven yeah. one games back to back seven one games to close out a series. So that's fourteen to two goal differential there. Yep, and this is exactly why David Poyle said all options are on the table at this point. <laughs> they I have mean, they have to be. Yeah. Uh, did did Darcy Kemper use all of his magic against the against the Preds? Yeah, it is a hundred percent unacceptable. The, the, the team, a team that obviously shows they didn't have any business being there. Exactly. Now, for those of you saying, well, I mean, the Predators probably would have lost to Colorado as well. Well, maybe if they got to the second round because the Predators would have matched up against St. Louis. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so let's not even go anywhere with that <laughs> argument. And St. Louis has had their fair share of issues. They've turned it on here of late, but they were down 2 nothing to Vancouver in their series as well. And they're showing signs of life now tied to two with Vancouver. So it's just it's curious to see this as well and also curious to see what now happens with some of these series because you have those upstart teams that won in the qualifiers like Chicago who looked pretty darn good in the qualifiers and then Vegas with their SEC speed <laughs> comes in and just dominates uh, overall Chicago and the same thing with with Colorado SEC speed mm-hmm. <laughs> with that team as well. And so you have two 4-1 series wins. Philadelphia has Montreal on, on the brink. So those are teams that made it in because of their performance in the qualifiers. Did they use up all their energy that they had to pull off upsets in the qualifiers? Yeah. I That's mean, what it looks like. I know. It's just, it's wild. But then again, this is what the playoffs have always been like, right? Playoffs? You just, <laughs> they always say anything goes and clearly... Anything goes. That's very true. So one of the changes that David Poyle did make already was not renewing the contract of assistant coach Dan Muse, who has been who had been with the team since 2017. So came to the team uh, as an assistant coach. He'd been here, and I know Muse has – first of all, I want to start off. Muse was always really nice. He was always a really nice guy to talk to. He'd always say hello when you pass by him in the hall, but the performance wasn't there. So mm-hmm. it's a business decision. So it's not hating on Dan Muse, the person. It's just that – they needed to make some changes. And obviously the first change was getting rid of Peter LaViolette, bringing mm-hmm. in John Hines. 
And then Rob Scuderi is going back to defensive to player to player development for defense, mm-hmm. which will be taking care of more prospects and everything. So there's two spots now to fill for the Nashville Predators. Dan Muse came directly from junior hockey up in, and that's taking a, a off a whim there too to see you know that progression. Usually you're going from junior college and then have going into the semi not semi pros but the pros with like the AHL, ECHL, something like that. Boston, it's worked out going from college to the pro. You mm-hmm. see it happen sometimes. So there's some obvious names that have popped up to fill these roles. One of them, Glenn Bean, Carl Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first thought because, I mean, we in Nashville have seen his impact on player development. We've seen his skill set at work. And, I mean, the old saying goes, right, the road to Nashville runs through Milwaukee. So it just kind of makes sense to me. Um, that was my first thought. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Carl Taylor has got to be one of those guys that's going to get a look. He was here for a turn to play camp, mm-hmm. so he was there with the prospects that he was coaching in Milwaukee and also got to know the veterans with his team, too. So that, if anything, is a leg up because you already are familiar with this team yeah. and this organization now. What I would hate, though, is that that then leaves Milwaukee with a coaching I know, search. and I don't even know where to start on that. And there's, but... <laughs> like, there's unfinished business in Milwaukee because they finished as the best team in the American and they didn't get to go through the playoffs and actually fully hoist the Calder Cup and everything and, and earn it and win it. And what he's accomplished there so quickly, too, we see that natural progression that he's went quickly from assistant to head coach, and he's going to have an NHL job very soon. Yep. And so I figure, why not? Possibly. Especially if you don't want to lose him. Yeah. If you don't want to lose him in the organization because there's going to be other head coaching vacancies that I'm sure eventually he's going to be one of those guys to fill that void or assistant coaching vacancies that he's going to get looked at to fill that void. Because what do you usually do? You go to the cream of the crop of the teams and their performances and you say, who is coaching this team? And we should give them an opportunity. Exactly. <laughs> That's what you do. You're especially not, when you finish best. <laughs> yeah. New, normally, especially in the minors and in college and things like that, pros a little different because it just depends on what you're what you're given as well as in terms of player p- personnel. But when you're looking to fill a void and promote someone, you're looking to see okay what they do with their college team, what they do with their junior team, what do they do with their AHL team or their ECHL team. Oh, they lost a lot of games. No, <laughs> that's not how it happens. They're they're proven winners and. Carl Taylor is now a proven winner, yep. and he is a player's coach. We, we see so much that he has found abilities to communicate with different types of players. And I remember this when he first got hired and why I was so impressed with Carl Taylor. When we asked him about communication and development, it's mm-hmm. saying him saying, I need to find a way to communicate to each player in the way that they need best communicated to. Yep. And that is huge to me because you have people from all different countries. You have Russians, you have folks from Finland, from Sweden, from Canada, from the U.S., from different upbringings. All these different things coming together to be a team. Of course you need to communicate differently to each one of them because they've all grown up with different backgrounds and everything of that sort. And the way you you can find a way to do that, you can be successful. Yep. And it's so true. And we've talked about that quite a few times. He has found a way to not just stand in a room with a bunch of players and just <laughs> and just spew stuff out, right, to to everyone as a whole. Yes, he does that as a coach, but he's found a way to develop players in a way that you don't really see that often. So it's I think that's a huge asset. I think his skill set is – I mean, like you said, you don't want to lose a guy like that. Right. So and that's so my first thought is – Another name, Elaine uh, Nasruddin, has mm-hmm. come up. Assistant coach with the Devils, who was promoted interim head coach, obviously when Hines left. And he's been with John Hines for a while. And Elliot Friedman on uh, Darren Donick and Chase here in 1025 the game did say that this is a potential that to bring him in. So it's interesting there to see that that might be another and, possibility. And that, one, that goes back to what you said, the familiarity. Yep. Um, 
it it helps. Like you said, it's a business. This league, people do that. You know somebody, you yep. worked with somebody, and that's exactly. John Hines' role to fill. So exactly. So I'm going to throw out some other names, just potential, because I looked up, I did, I did some research, and Look wanna, at you <laughs> <laughs> to see like who who is in the tops of some of these other leagues. Mm-hmm. So I looked at the USHL. I mean, we've seen some other coaches come from there, and you have Brock Sheehan. He, he played, he had a career in the pros. He played with the Ontario Reign. He's played in the AHL. He played NCAA hockey at Notre Dame. And he's currently with the Chicago Steel, which were the, num- they're the number one team in the USHL. He's the head coach this year. He's promoted midseason, but he's also the associate head coach the past two seasons. And then NCAA, he was College of the Holy Cross uh, assistant head coach as well before that. And also an assistant coach, a volunteer with Notre Dame in 2013-14. Don't know that he was the top of the league. Now, doesn't have as much head coach, exper- head coach experience, which a lot of times you get in the assistants, but he obviously was a proven winner with the Chicago Steel. And then another one, you look at the Providence Bruins, Jay Leach is another guy there, and that might sound familiar because he played for the Devils <laughs> as well. And so he had a long, long career in the NHL, AHL, playing with, with the Sharks, with the Devils, the, both Albany and New Jersey, with the Bruins, both Providence and Boston, <laughs> Tampa Bay Lightning a couple of games, and Norfolk Admirals. He's played a lot in terms of coaching experience, too. He has been around in terms of as a head coach, but the Providence Bruins, well, so far, first of all, in, in Europe as assistant coach, in the AHL with the Scranton Penguins, assistant coach of the Providence Bruins, and then promoted to head coach the past three seasons with the Providence Bruins. They were the second top team in the AHL. So those are just names I'm throwing out there. I'm not saying there's Lots any information the or anything. Sea. Yeah, yeah. That's fish in the sea, especially with two positions to fill. I'm sure the co- the coaching search is going to be out there. You want to do your due diligence. Even if you have your top, top candidates like Nasruddin and Taylor, mm-hmm. you want to do your due diligence and see if there's – Do your some, research like yeah, Justin so, B. Bradford. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do, do yeah. your research. Yeah. So I, but what I'm curious about, too, is they are keeping Dan Lambert. Mm-hmm. There's that one, and he we saw the power play finally improve mm-hmm. in the playoffs, which finally. was which was good. <laughs> so now we're going to be looking at someone defensively, mm-hmm. take care of that, and someone that's going to probably be working with the forwards a lot as well. It makes you miss Phil Housley a lot. It does. It does. <laughs> Wonder if he's available because the Coyotes are out now. I know. <laughs> would he? Would I- he come back? <laughs> would Would he come? Back? Is he under an extended contract with them? Was it a one year thing? Why not? Because I feel like. The Predators did flourish so well under yeah, Phil Housley. They did. And now, ever since, like, well, more than a week ago. Actually, it's been a, <laughs> it's it's been been a, been a little while. But you hear that name or you read it and you just, oh, you just kind of sigh because <laughs> you're right. You do start to realize those things that you miss in him. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll love to throw that name out there, especially now that let's they're put out. It, let's just for us, let's put it on our table. Yeah, and, and it's not trying to bring back the old dogs whose tricks didn't work the first time. His tricks worked. That's why he was they, hired as a head coach. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> It didn't work out in Buffalo. I don't think they gave him enough time for it to work out in Buffalo to really give him the tools that he needed to be successful. But he's still coaching, and he would be a great name to have, especially looking at potentially trying to get younger and have young defensemen in that third pairing role. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying I'd love to see that. Okay. Let's talk rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs because we want to continue to make sure that even though the Predators are out, you have a well-rounded approach and viewing capability of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So up next is Mike Morreale of NHL.com joining us on Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. 
Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Captain Kurt taking care of us behind the glass. And let's talk all things Stanley Cup playoffs now. We have Mike Morale from NHL.com joining us. Mike, welcome to the show. What's going on, Justin? Glenn, glad to join the program. Yeah, thanks so much. So, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about what, what you saw from the Predators before we dive deeper into the Stanley Cup playoffs and especially seeing how the Colorado Avalanche completely demolished the Arizona Coyotes. What does that say about the Predators and their struggles, even though they played overall well but still couldn't beat the Arizona Coyotes in that five-game series? Yeah, that was a tough tough one, Justin. And obviously you, you were into that series as much as I was and, and what went down. And, um, you, you know, you look at that series and, and obviously the Predators, when, when I think of maybe three keys that, you know, they were unable to do in that series, you know, first you look at the, the ability to finish, to finish plays. I mean, obviously the Predators outshot the Coyotes badly. Uh, you know, they I guess at the end of that, qualifying round they were actually averaging a league leading 40.8 shots uh a game in the in the qualifiers uh but scored 11 goals you know obviously that top line there of Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson they really came to play you can see they um you know they enjoyed playing together that line was reunited uh that you know Hines thought they played well in training camp put them together and they did the bulk of the work but you know, Nashville needed more guys to, to post some numbers. I mean, you saw some sporadic efforts from uh, Matt Duchesne, you know, Michael Granlin, one assist in, in, in those games. Kyle Turris uh, couldn't generate enough. I also thought, you know, UC Saris, while he had a great, uh, you know, regular season, uh, obviously picking up the slack for, for Pekka, who uh, struggled. Um, but uh, Saris was the guy, and, and they went with him. I, I had no... Um, questions about the decision. Um, in fact, uh, you know, all the games, I, I felt uh, Hines played it the way I thought it might turn out, Justin, in, in, in using UC um, in those games, those four games. But he just didn't have enough there. Uh, you know, finished with their 3-2-2 goals against and a 8.95 save percentage. Then, you know, you look at just, you know, and John Hines talks about this a lot, or he did uh, at the conclusion of the season, um, you know, just momentary miscues that the team uh, had in that series. You know, just, uh, you know, you know, you got to be smart about things and know when things might, might be happening. And in this case, you know, you look at the, the Predators went 4 for 14 on the power play, which isn't that bad, but they allowed a short-headed goal to Michael Grabner late in the second, and that proved decisive in that game one loss. You know, game three, Turris scores a goal for Nashville a minute into the third, but – the goal was overturned, you know, Rick Tocca challenged for the offsides against Duchesne, and, and that was after that Arizona scored the next three goals in that 4-1 win. So mentally, they struggled as well. And, and I think, and you remember, Justin, you, those were some of the things that Hines talked about um, in his final uh, conference with the media was trying to get, the, you know, the team on the same page mentally as well as what they need to do on the ice. No, absolutely, absolutely excellent points made there. And so looking at the rest of the playoffs, too, we see a lot of those teams that were part of those upsets now out or on the brink of being out. Chicago, Arizona, uh, Montreal's on the brink, even though they're ahead as it stands right now against Philly. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's one of those cases where those teams mustered all they could just in the qualifiers and kind of, I don't want to say pootered out, but they mustered all they could to at least win in the qualifiers. They just didn't have enough because, I mean, they were in the standing place that they were for a reason. They were the seed they were for a reason, and they just didn't have the overall enough talent to beat some of these top teams. Do you, do you, did you see that as well? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you, you got to think that, 
you know, they exerted a lot of energy, these teams. Obviously, you know, the big gun is going for certain teams. Obviously, the goaltenders are there. And, and we know in this, in this day and age, particularly when the postseason hits, you need a, a 1A and 1B in goal. So you're trying to manage the goaltenders as well. Um, you know, that could be the case. I thought Montreal made a real nice uh, showing of itself in their, in their qualifier win. And then, uh, you know, they did were able to beat uh, Philadelphia in the one game. And they've been in these games, right? I mean, you know, these last two games, it was all about Carter Hart and what he was able to do for the Flyers. So um, I, I do think the teams that were in the round robin, were able to get their feet wet, so to speak, uh, maybe shake off some rust, you know, in the three games that they each played. Um, and, and now in, in this first round, you, you see the better teams. But I do think that those teams that, uh, you know, came from the qualifier into the first round certainly, you know, did their best to make a, a nice representation of themselves. I mean, I know Arizona is kicking themselves and probably saying, how did this happen uh, to lose again like they did uh today 7-1 to the Avalanche but I think it just goes to show you Justin how strong some of these clubs really are that were in in the top four for each conference and Mike we all had preconceived ideas of what this playoff series was going to feel like <clears throat> in an empty arena not only for the players and fans but for personnel and media as well so I just kind of want to get your overall thoughts from a media perspective on how this unique playoff situation experience has been so far given that very very few people are even allowed to be there yeah, it is. It's very unique. And, you know, you talk daily to players about how life in the bubble has been, obviously, in Edmonton and then in Toronto on the East Coast. And, you know, you, you get uh, almost the same response where it's nice to be there with teammates, uh, you know, with coaching staff, to have someone, to have that camaraderie. Um, well, everyone does miss his family, uh, their kids, their wives, their significant others. Um, it, it is a chance for these players and everyone to just kind of focus in on hockey. And even when you're not playing hockey, to have an opportunity to go watch some games. Or I know a lot of teams, particularly, uh, you know, I was following and covering uh, the series just completed with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Chicago Blackhawks. And the Vegas players actually have what they call a fun committee, uh, which is, uh, you know, run by three players on the team. Um, and those committee members, they put together poker, poker games, poker nights, and, and movie nights uh, in the lounge areas where each team is designated to go and maybe spend some time with their teammates or just kind of relax and focus on something other than hockey. So right now I think the NHL has done a fabulous job with maybe creating an environment and an atmosphere that despite the fact you're away from family and, and friends and maybe people you want to see on a regular basis, you're still able to enjoy your time uh, with your teammates and, and, and coaching staff and, and share some laughs there. And let's face it, I mean, this is while this has been a very unusual year, this is something these players and I guess the coaches will never forget this season and, and how everything kind of transpired. Oh, oh, absolutely right on that. Again, Mike Morreale of NHL.com joining us on Penalty Box Radio. And I started laughing. You said fun committee. It makes me think of what RAs have as a duty in college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And with their assigned true, duties. Justin, yeah. yeah. Bring them back to the memories there. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. So, and obviously different experiences for every team there, too. And we're seeing some of the, the, the speed of the top teams, and you mentioned it, especially in the top four, the speed and, and the way the NHL has really evolved in this right now with the speed, especially Vegas, Colorado, and, and a, a young team with some good veterans with, with Philadelphia as well, and, and Tampa getting over that hump from last season as well, and the talent there, too. 
Who, and I'm going to straight up ask it. Who do you see as your favorites now after watching, obviously, round one getting close to being done, as your favorites to make those deep runs to meet each other in, in the final? Yeah, well, I, I had, uh, you know, as far as my, my Stanley Cup prediction, I did have the Blues against the Flyers. Um, you know, it looks that, you know, obviously the Blues, uh, you know, having their struggles there in this first round, but they seem to be getting things, uh, you know, underway here and what they need to do to, to maybe get some, some wins and maybe win that series. And um, because they have the depth and they got that veteran core that's back there with them. You know, Philadelphia, as you mentioned, Justin, um, you know, they've got a young team, but they have a nice uh, group of uh, veterans sprinkled in there as well. Obviously, when you have the goaltending, you have uh, you can go deep since uh, goaltending, of course, is the position that's the equalizer to every facet in this game. But you're right. I mean, a lot of these clubs that you're seeing now that are making these deep runs are going four lines deep. I'm telling you, the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, you talk about depth. I mean, four lines there that can that can go at you and really turn things. I mean, the, the, the one game where they probably outplayed Chicago the most and in, in game four, they actually lost because Corey uh, Crawford had to stand on his head. He was just unbelievable in game four to kind of steal one there. Uh, I believe it was 47 or 46 saves that he made in that game. But uh, Vegas is a team that is so deep. And, you know, if I were to maybe change a prediction after watching Vegas and a lot of these teams in the West, Colorado is another four-line deep team, good defensively, a great rookie, Kiel McCarr. You see what Vancouver is doing, um, you know, obviously with a with another great rookie there and Quinn Hughes. A lot of these rookies, right, Justin and Glenn mm-hmm. Singh, it's just been an incredible year for rookies. Uh and even for the Chicago Blackhawks with Dominic Kubelik, um, you know, to score as many even-strength goals as he did this season, I believe it was 25 or, or 30 even-strength goals for Kubelik. And then two defensemen, you know, Hughes and McCarr, uh, who are in the running for the Calder Trophy. Everyone thinks one of them is going to get it this year. And to have one-two in scoring among rookies as defensemen was kind of unbelievable. But there is so much talent in the league, and it just goes to show you, if you have a decent goaltender, a guy that can stop pucks in the big moments. And if you can go at least two and a half, three lines deep in this league and have a big, strong team, not necessarily a team filled with, you know, small, speedy players, which which you do need, but you also need some size and need some leadership, uh, whether it be on the back end or up front as well. So I think you're seeing those kind of teams doing it. But I'm going to stick to my guns. I had the prediction early, so I'll stick with the Flyers and the Blues meeting each other in the cup final. I think you hit the nail on the head right there, too, in terms of the mix that you need of a team composition. And also, yeah, the Blues, they look like they're finally getting together. They got their wake-up call <laughs> against, yeah, the, against the upstart right. Canucks. <laughs> well, well, Mike, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. I know you're always busy, especially so many games to have to cover right now. So appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Glenn. And uh, stay safe. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Mike. You, too. Mike Morali of NHL.com joining us to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Morali NHL. Lots of good coverage there at NHL.com. I know he's been on so many conference calls. He's on the conference calls for the Predators. He's like you just said, he covered the, the Hawks and the mm-hmm. Knights. So very, doing very it busy. All, Mike. Do, he wears doing many it hats. all. <laughs> doing it all. So Glenn, I got to ask you before we go to break, what's your prediction after what you've seen so far? I know it's late to make your official prediction, but what you've seen, what oh, do you think? I know that is tough. To be honest, I've thought the Flyers for a while. I don't know. <laughs> and he kind of confirms that because, I mean, he does 
make good points, but, and I don't know, there was part of me that kind of just felt the emotional tie, I think maybe with Ben, I don't know, but that was my, right. that was where my heart was, so, right. but then I hate to say stuff too soon, because the second I say something, <laughs> you know, you turn around, and I was wrong. So, I originally thought Columbus, so. I'm now, right now, I'm going Vegas, Tampa. Okay, I the, can see that. Let's go with a full non-traditional final. Let, let's yeah. just make it happen, but I think Colorado, they're going to be dangerous for years to come. The speed. I'd love to, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see Colorado, Vegas in the Western Conference Final because that'd be just zoom, zoom, zoom. And that would mean the that X. the fun committee would get to go on a lot yeah, longer. more fun committee. I love it. All right, up next, really excited to have this guest, Everett Fitzhugh. He was the voice of the Cincinnati Cyclones, but now the voice of the Seattle Kraken. So he's joining us up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, super excited for our next guest, uh, history-making guest as well, uh, in so many different ways. The Seattle Kraken obviously announced as an expansion team. They, the, the team name just comes about a few weeks ago, and then most recently they named Everett Fitzhugh the voice of the Seattle Kraken, formerly now with the Cincinnati Cyclones, a former affiliate of the Natural Predators in the ECHL. And so we're really excited to have Everett on. Everett, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. And, and I remember, you know, back when we were the affiliate of Nashville and, and catching up with you guys for the first time a few years back. So it's good to, to be talking with you here. Oh, absolutely. So I guess just we'll start off with what's going through your mind and everything when you get the call, when you're named the voice of the Seattle Kraken. It's, it's super exciting to see this and just to have all these things continue to mount up first, knowing the franchise coming along, getting the name, and then now you get to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the, the biggest thing was just um, a sense of relief, I guess, because I knew that this is something that I've wanted to do professionally for the last 13 years, ever since I was in college. So to be able to achieve this lifelong goal and this dream of mine of of getting to the National Hockey League, I mean, that is, is something that, um, like I said, it's a dream come true. And, and this whole process was just so surreal and so amazing to be a part of. And now I'm, I'm happy that uh, the, the easy part's done. They, they told me that getting the job was the easy part, but now the hard part begins and I'm excited to start to uh, to get to work and you speak a little bit about the process and and we see the natural progression that you took that so many uh, broadcasters and announcer takes from bowling green state university announcing in college and going to junior with the ushl and and then making it into the echl so taking that natural progression so what was the process like to switch to to the not just the pros but switch to the nhl what was that process like to go through yeah, I mean, it was fun. My, my entire process, I mean, and, and if, if we want to go all the way back to college, I mean, it's been it's been a long road. Uh, I did my first ever broadcast back in January of 2007, and um, that's when I fell in love with broadcasting and, and knowing that I wanted to work in hockey. And, and that's where I, I developed that passion for what I do. So being able to do it for three years in college, a year and a half at a league office level where you get to see the behind the scenes, the communications, the 
marketing aspect of it. It really puts things into perspective, just what goes on in some of these minor leagues and some of these junior leagues. And to go to Youngstown and, and get my first opportunity of working at a team level where you're in charge of all of the PR, the marketing, the social media, um, obviously broadcasting and, and things like that. And then to come to Cincinnati as a professional for the first time, that was a, an amazing experience um, to be able, again, to, to elevate that game, my game and, and to elevate the level and just see what it exactly it takes to get to the next level and, and to get to the American Hockey League and ultimately um, the NHL. I'm very fortunate that uh, I, I was able to, to make the jump directly from the ECHL to the NHL. It's something that doesn't happen that often. Uh, most people, players, coaches, managers, uh, front office folks alike have to take that step to the American League um, in the middle, but I was very fortunate to be able to make that jump. But um, as far as the process with Seattle, it all started back in February. Ryan Clark, who is the um, Colorado Avalanche beat reporter for The Athletic, uh, did a really nice feature on me for The Athletic's uh, Black History Month series about uh, me being the only uh, black play-by-play announcer in hockey, uh, that article came across Todd Lightwicky's desk, who was the CEO of the Kraken, and he um, enjoyed reading it. He loved hearing about my story and, and, and shot me an email, wanted to learn more about me and, and ultimately see if I'd be interested in, in, in a position with the Kraken and what they're doing. And obviously, uh, you are anytime an NHL executive gets a hold of you. Um, <laughs> you don't turn that down. So we kept uh, in touch over the next few months um, and then COVID hit um, I was assuming that everything was going to be put on hold and you know we would revisit this here coming up later but he emails me again in May and says I know the world is turned upside down but still wanted to know if you'd be interested in, in a position here so that's when the official interview process started so a few Zoom calls a couple of phone calls and a flight out to Seattle later I was offered the job uh, right after the 4th of July wow wow And Everett, I want to kind of dig in because Ryan Clark also wrote another piece about you after you were hired on The Athletic. And something that stood out to me was that the team wanted your fiance to be there with you because they said that this was not a decision that one person makes. And I want them to both understand what we are building here. And there was something really powerful in that statement to me because you are in the foundation of something new that's being built. So I just wanted to know what that means for you personally on a personal level, but also on a professional level. You know, if, if I wasn't already sold on Seattle, that did it for me. Um, in all of the conversations that I had leading up to that trip with the organization, you could really just tell that they have such a love and such a passion for what they're doing and what they're building. Everyone there is so genuine and and so dedicated to bringing the NHL to Seattle and, and to doing a good job. And for them uh, to involve Shelly uh, my fiance in that decision was was indescribable uh, for me. They were just as concerned and just as um, worried about making her comfortable as they were with me. And they they included her on all of the interviews. Um, Todd Lightwicky even brought her in uh, to interview and then said, you know, I, I would like you to join us because, you know, like you just said, this isn't Everett's decision. This is a family decision, and uh, I know for the both of us, you know, th- this is this is 
is a, a semi-permanent, permanent move. You know, we're, we're going to put roots down in Seattle. We're going to hopefully, you know, raise a family in Seattle and, and send our kids off to college in Seattle. So this is going to be a long time, a long-term move and a long-term stop for us. So we were very excited. And me personally, I was very, very excited um, that they included her in this decision process and, and were making sure that she was comfortable with the move and with everything. And, um, you know, she's been my biggest supporter and, and my cheerleader uh, along with my mother through this whole thing. So to be able to experience this entire uh, ride with her has, has been great. And I know she's just as excited as I am to, to be beginning this journey and to beginning the, the newest chapter of our life together out in Seattle. And you definitely match that same passion that you were talking about, the Seattle Kraken have, which I think is just fantastic. Your energy is infectious. Um, and you've already etched your name into households, having been in Cincinnati for the last five seasons. And now you're going to be doing that on a much larger platform in the NHL. You're not only going to be a voice to the underrepresented community, but you're also going to be a very prominent face um, dealing with the communications department of the team as well. So how do you want to personally use this platform to help grow the game primarily to those underrepresented community? Because now you're going to be that guy that others are looking up to saying, hey, he looks like me. I'm represented here. Maybe I can do this one day, too. Yeah, and, and I think that that is the biggest the, the biggest key for me. I remember growing up in Detroit. Um, obviously, it, it's hockey town, and and the Red Wings uh, had so much success, you know, in the '90s and and 2000s. And when I was getting into hockey around the, the time of that back to back Cup run, '97, '98, and then all of those rivalries with the Colorado Avalanche and all of that, that's when I really fell in love with the game. But I didn't have a whole lot of influences who looked like me in the sport of hockey so it wasn't until I, I was watching an Oilers game uh, when they played the Red Wings and I saw Mike Greer I saw George LaRock and, and, and I was just floored because here is a sport that historically um, has been predominantly white uh, you know a lot of black kids myself included didn't feel like hockey was for them I, I didn't feel like I had a place in this game and, and then when I saw those two that really opened my eyes and, and let me know that there is a place for me in this game and Anson Carter joined the Oilers a few years later so now you had three black guys on one team and that was massive for me and, and that's what really started my fandom and, and my passion for the sport of hockey so my number one goal is to be able to be that influence that I never had um, as a kid growing up. And and I think I've always told people that you never really intend or you never really set out to be that trailblazer. But if you ever find yourself in a position where you can mentor and you can uh, tutor and, and teach and, and, and help bring up that next generation of hockey fan, hockey player, uh, hockey broadcaster, whatever the case may be, I think you owe it to the community and to the sport to to run with that opportunity so we had a very very good opportunity in seattle to help build this game a very non-traditional hockey market like cincinnati like nashville once was and and, and i really one of the things that I, i've been so uh, passionate about is is bringing a little bit of smashville to <laughs> seattle and, and what the, the predators have been able to do in their community and, and turning this you know this honky-tonk country paradise into a into a hockey town and i think that 
that we have an opportunity to do that in Seattle. And I cannot wait to get out into the community. We're going to go to every, every Lions Club, every Rotary, every youth practice, everything we can find to make sure that we leave no stone unter- uh, uncovered, unturned when it comes to bringing out fans, black fans, white fans, female fans. Um, it doesn't matter. We want Seattle to be a hockey town and we want to be a team that is, all, that is not only representative of the city and the values and the beliefs of the city, but we also want to be an organization that is reflective of where we see the NHL going and where we see the sport of hockey going, embracing that diversity, that racial diversity, that gender diversity, and getting as many different backgrounds and voices and viewpoints as we possibly can. Man, I'm fired up now. I know. I, I'm ready for this. I'm ready now. Dude, that, that is, Let's that get is, cracking, Everett. There, yeah, absolutely. There, there's, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind they've absolutely made the right hire uh, in Seattle because you're going to represent it so, so well. And that's you're exactly right. Grassroots is going to be so important in getting out there and growing the game. And that is absolutely what happened here in Nashville. And you see how it's growing there, too. So, yeah. so before we let you go, because you grew up a Detroit fan, I grew up a Detroit fan. Okay. Being originally from Michigan, and you bring back the back-to-backs 97-98. just brings back memories <laughs> for me uh, as a kid growing up as well. I got to ask, who was your favorite player, especially during the 90s for the Red Wings? Oh, that was easy. Darren McCarty. He <laughs> was my favorite Red Wing. He was gritty. He was nails. He could score a goal or two if he needed. Um, but he was my favorite player. Um, obviously, you had the big guns, the Lindstroms, the, the Shanahans, and, and the Eisermans. But for me, Darren McCarty just really embodied you know, what I loved about that team, what I loved about being from the city of Detroit, that blue-collar attitude. Also, I was a big fan of goalies. So Chris Osgood was a big, uh, was probably my favorite goalie growing up. So McCarty was my favorite skater on that Red Wings team. And then I, I had a huge love and affinity for Chris Osgood. Awesome. And and I got to ask, because whenever we have a guest on, that's either Detroit connection or Russian connection. Got to ask, have you seen the Russian five? I have not. And oh. I think I'm the only person who has not seen it, but it is, it is on my list. And I will definitely be sure to check that out here before too long. You will absolutely love it. I guarantee it. Well, Everett, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations again. We wish you all the best and honestly can't wait to get up there to Seattle to experience a game and, and to hear you making the call. Thank you very much, guys. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. There you go. Everett Fitzhugh, the voice of the Seattle Kraken, coming from the Cincinnati Cyclones. Again, a former Predators affiliate there, so a nice little connection there, too. Really excited for Everett to to take on this big job. The the right person, obviously, was hired. Definitely the right person. You can hear the passion in his voice. You can feel it. I'm so excited for him. electric. (laughs) Absolutely great. Okay, up next, Q&A time. We think we have some good ones. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and Captain Kurt with some excellent music selections tonight. Excellent. So I haven't you. heard this one in a while. And I know. I'm, yeah, this is good. This has got me jamming. This feel good. Feel good. I'm feeling good right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we need feel good stuff. It's, it's that, we do. We need it. We need more of that right now. Yeah. So bring it on, Captain. So Everett fits you. Man. Oh, man. I mean, he got... Us both pumped I'm up. Pumped up about Everett and 
his job with the Seattle Kraken. I mean, he is he is a treasure, honestly. They are very, very, very fortunate to have him. So, so very fortunate. He's going to do amazing things. And like he said with Smashville, he's going to do those grassroots things. And that's, I mean, that's, we, we were lucky here in Nashville to have Pete Weber, Terry Crisp uh, doing that kind of stuff, to have Barry Trotz even getting out there and doing that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. understanding what it took to build a yep. market up for hockey. So he has the right attitude going in there so it's just great to see someone that has put so much work in and going from the ground up from college to juniors to the pros and and now getting to grow and build with this team is exciting for him so so exciting history making as well love that okay let's get to our questions here first one this is a this is a serious question and i wanted to address it got this on twitter from maha why doesn't penalty box radio have more writers and contributors of color that's a very good question and one that i wanted to address and I know that's something we continue to have to work on and need to work on and be better at. So in terms of addressing that here at PBR, we have me, we have Jonah Story, we have Matt Best. So those are three dudes. And I know it's something that it is not enough. We are the three people of color on our staff here. And it is something that I want to continue to do. And it's very important to me that we are representative of the community. And that's something with Penalty Box Radio that we have with our mission is we want to give people opportunity because that's what it's all about. And that's why we have a mission statement and to read that it's at the forefront of hockey coverage, informing those that want to know, entertaining those that care to listen, providing opportunities to those that seek them. So I'll put it out there. Now, if you are a person of color and you have a very big interest in hockey and learning more about it, we have opportunities, especially here in middle Tennessee that you can get involved in covering college hockey when it's going Mm -hmm. high school hockey when it's going (laughs) and, and doing everything to build up your career. That's that's what we're here for. We're here to provide the support system and training to help you be a sports journalist. If you haven't learned that by now with Penalty Box Radio, I need you to go and check out the site just to see all the different people that we work with and students that we work with, whether it's high school or college, and that that is what we are dedicated to is to giving people opportunities. Yeah, and that door has that door has always been open to everyone. It is open. Um, and it will continue to stay open. So, And I'll continue to do the work to bring those opportunities to people, too, that may not realize that they're there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have and to do. And that's what we – yeah. That's what we aim to do. So, All right. Johnny asks, what's the proper balance in an Arnold Palmer? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I heard Kurt laugh through the glass. <laughs> Actually, now that he's laughing that hard, I want to know what I want to know what your take is. What is the proper balance? Yeah, Kurt, what you got? Uh, always light on the lemonade. Okay. I, I was going to say all lemonade. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually doing 60-40 tea to lemonade. Yeah, not, I, not 50 50 but 60 40 because the lemon is going to be really really sweet yeah so and, and tart and so i want that that i want to say hint because it's still 60 40 but that's my mix i like i like mostly lemonade with a splash of tea because so i love tart stuff so 95 oh wait so 95 5 yeah lemonade 95 tea. 5 sounds good yeah <laughs> let's do that if five is a splash then yeah that's getting all lemon and going exactly <laughs> no that's getting it's all lemonade that's getting a splash oh sorry of tea. sorry it's getting the tea, tea bag Blech. Blech. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's it's nighttime. It's 2020. It is. It's this August. This is a fun committee in here. So <laughs> fun committee. Okay. Now, serious hockey question here. Chad is asking, would you keep Seth Jones for the Preds in 2016? Looking back at it, who is that? Quite the question. Okay. That's in, loaded. In hindsight, in hindsight, when you look at what the Preds accomplished with Johansson, I'm still okay with it. Mm-hmm. Now. <laughs> What I have, if if I don't have hindsight and I'm going back to this and I'm looking at this trade, I'm still pulling it off. And and the reason why is there was such a desperate need for a number one center. Has it worked out to where Johansson has fully lived up to that number one center? No, no, it absolutely hasn't. 
But I look at what happened immediately after that, and they made her run to the Stanley Cup final. And I still truly believe, even the Sisson scored aside, that had Ryan Johansson been healthy for that mm-hmm. series, they would have won the Cup. Yeah. Because you could tell they were still missing the, the power forward center of Ryan Johansson, who had a great season that year. And prior to that injury, was playing some of the best hockey that anybody yes. has seen him play. So it's, And then on the flip side of that, too, I mean, you've got Seth Jones, who anybody would want to have. Oh yeah. I mean, all around, just a solid, solid. And right now, I mean, he's been out there making it look easy playing 60-plus minutes in a game and just acting like it was nothing. And so anybody would obviously want to have him. But if you look at it, I mean, I will still – I will always look at that as a win-win for both teams. I have to. And so I can't sit here and say I'd want to go back and change that because I've also enjoyed watching what Seth Jones is doing. I mean, he's thriving. So And we watched – like you said, we watched Ryan Johansson play – so, the best in the cup. So it's, so it's tough. It's yeah. a tough question because you want the Ryan Johansson that you saw in the playoffs this year, which is producing five points in four games. If he can do 75% of that effort the mm-hmm. whole season, then he's going to be the number one center that you expect. Yeah. He hasn't necessarily done that. He didn't do that this year. But he turned it on for the playoffs where mm-hmm. it didn't matter. It's just the rest of the team didn't do enough as yeah. a number one line. Yeah. So it's, that is a very good question. It is worthy of debate. And I know it we, can, really we can always go back and forth because you see Seth Jones is a future Norris Trophy winner. No doubt, yep. in my mind, yeah. with him. Um, and I still think he would have worked in the system because he's a very active defenseman that's willing to skate up and down the ice and not be a stay-at-home guy, even though he's a big well, yeah, dude. Yeah, he's very, he's very a, mobile. I mean, he's yeah. just all around. He's a he's mobile just... and a bruiser. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this one is from Michael, and this one is, do you think the Vols will be as good as projected? Now, I'll say this because I ask people to say, it is August, it is 2020, it is weird, it doesn't have to be hockey-related. <laughs> so I'm going to predict the Vols go 6-4. and four. And I've got nothing. I've, I've got nothing on that. <laughs> I'm saying the Vols will have – football team will have a loss to Georgia. They'll have a loss to Florida. They'll have a loss to Alabama and a loss to Auburn. So, sorry if I, if I take any of you off. That was very specific. Well, I'm looking – I'm a sports analyst. Yeah. I'm supposed to do doing my job. Uh, <laughs> CJ asks, what sport has the best and dumbest unwritten rules? Oh, that's a good one. For me, the best is hockey handshakes in the playoffs. That's yeah. an unwritten rule. It's not a rule. You don't like you have to shake their hands. Yeah. It's an unwritten rule. That one you always feel good when you're watching it, you yeah. know? And handshakes. I know from a girl also, from a girl that went to bowling camp as a kid, in bowling, they have um, – an unwritten rule of they want you to show personality. They want, they want you to celebrate. They don't okay. want a bowling robot. Okay. So, no, that one that one's a fun one because, obviously, none of us are really watching bowling. But, yeah, I was going to go. Handshakes are always – it's just a feel-good. It is. You know, even when you're watching your team that might be on the losing end, it's just a, that camaraderie of the, respect. the sport. Yeah, exactly. The respect so. to the sport. Now, I like the Robin Lehner moments that he had with his team that traded him away Mm, yeah (laughs) they didn't think they were gonna make it so that was quite a moment there now dumbest one that's there's so many of them but the one that is hot right now is the tatis one of swinging when up on a 3-0 count you play to win the game if Mm. you don't want him to hit the ball don't give him a ball that he's gonna hit baseball does not have a set time constraint like almost every other sport does so seven runs doesn't mean jack because a team could come back from that. You never know. You play to win the game. If you don't want a player to do something, you stop them from doing it. That's with any sport, especially at the pro level. In the pro level, run up the score. 
I don't care. <laughs> Run up the dang score. It is their job to stop you. We're talking mites. We're talking youth. We're talking high school. That is a very different situation where you're molding young minds. These are professionals that are paid to do it. If you don't want somebody to do something, you stop them. It's pro sports. I get fired up. It's stupid. It is absolutely ridiculous and stupid to say, well, do this. You just need to, you need to take it. Let, let it be 3-1. Mm-hmm. Then you can swing. No. If, if he's going to walk, he's going to walk. If you're going to give him a pitch, he can get a grand slam on. Take the grand slam. Who knows in his contract if he has an RBI's hit that hit in that he has a big bonus or home runs hit he has a big bonus. This is for any sport. Forget the unwritten rules. Play the damn game. This is reminding me of the rant days. I get, I, I get a little fired up. We needed a good up. rant. That was good. Get a little fired up. Okay. You missed anything, PenaldeOxRadio.com. You missed it. Podcast will be up later. Especially make sure you listen to our time with Everett Fitzhugh. Really, really love what he's going to do for the Seattle Kraken. Glenn, thank you. Thank you, Justin. And Captain Kurt, thank you. Appreciate it, sir. Okay. PenaldeBoxRadio.com. You can listen to that. For Captain Kurt and Glenn, this is Justin Bradford. Thanks for listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.